This is By the People for the Podcast, produced by the American Civil Liberties Union of New Hampshire. For those listening closely, you may have noticed a shift in the conversation surrounding reproductive freedom. Uh, I don't believe only in reproductive uh, freedom. I believe in reproductive justice. And what that means is that just because a woman, or let's also not forget, someone in the trans community, a trans female. My name is Polana, my pronouns are she, her, and I am the trans justice organizer with the ACLU of New Hampshire. I spent some time last month driving around the state having conversations with different trans men and non-binary folks about their experience with reproductive health care in New England. Even overall in society, there's like an erasure of trans men. I've had a lot of queer people not I felt I felt like people forget that there's like men who could be pregnant. I just think like there's nuance in how we talk about it and acknowledge it and not like erase the experience of women but also include the experience of all other people. Uh, Absolutely, women's rights are important, but what we're talking about here is beyond that. We're talking about bodily autonomy. Because it's rights over your body. If abortion was illegal, who's to say that the next thing isn't going to be about what you can do with your body as far as changing it if you choose to and if if you're trans? We're talking about reproductive justice. We're talking about us being able to access health care appropriate and necessary for our bodies without, like, jumping through ridiculous, stupid hoops. Because I know that if I walked into, like, where I go for my PCP, if I walked in there with a big pregnant belly and told them I was pregnant, they probably wouldn't know what to do with me. You know, because, like, I have a friend who's a trans man. Totally trying trying to get get pregnant. pregnant. And I remember meeting people up in uh, Berlin, New Hampshire, who said, oh, yeah, we have great trans-inclusive health care. And I said, oh, great, where? They said, oh, we go to Fenway. So, I mean, I still get my primary care from uh, Fenway Health. Just that's where I get normal. And for some people, that is wholly inaccessible. We shouldn't have to go to the LGBTQ health center to get our health care. We should be able to go anywhere. I didn't really feel like going to my doctor from growing up and trying to explain. Especially at this point, it'd be like way too far gone to be like. But before we dive in, our lawyers want me to remind you that this podcast does not constitute legal or medical advice. And I'd like to flag for listeners that this episode contains some mature themes and explicit language. Free speech, baby. Nowadays, things have changed where, you know, it's not that the sea of trans people are coming out of nowhere. It's that that people are more comfortable. Like, you know, they're hearing that this is even a thing that exists. Like, you aren't getting people who are getting to, like, 25 and hearing, you know, the word transgender, the word non-binary for the first time anymore. Like, I didn't hear non-binary until I was certainly well out of college. There was definitely a point in my very young childhood where I thought that at some point I was allowed to like make a decision about like whether I grew up to be a boy or grew up to be a girl and and you know then of course it's very quickly like disabused of that notion by society like no no you don't actually get a choice in that it's all about what's you know downstairs and that doesn't seem fair. Yeah, so I was, um, as I uh, identify as non-binary transmasculine, um, assigned female birth. It means I have uh, body parts that require an annual checkup. Um, 
and I was going into an OBGYN uh, for an annual checkup, pap smear, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, and it was, as some, some context here, I actually have been putting this off for about six years. Which I was so nervous for. Yeah. Cause I had had one since like pre-transition, pre-knowing I was even trans, so it was like, until she brought it up, I was like, oh, I forgot that was something I still have to like keep up with. I mean, I always, they have posters in all the rooms, like, about, you know, getting checked and, you know, health for trans men and blah, 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 but I always just kind of like... Okay, I'm going to go see this person. Uh, so I went to, like, the main registration desk, and I said, I have an appointment with Dr. So-and-so. They said, oh, that's up on the third floor. I said, I was just there, and I was informed that I was in the wrong place. And they said, well, that's where her office is. Okay, so I went... Right off back, I said, I have a an appointment with this doctor. Please, can you just look up my name and see that I... Uh, and it was, it. they had to call somebody over. There was just this, like, confusion of here's this masculine-appearing person in this office. The PCP that I went to... Um, you know, couldn't handle like a preferred name that was not the name on the paperwork properly. They couldn't handle pronouns properly. You know, we talk a lot in kind of trans advocacy worlds about the importance of training doctors and that doctors be trans inclusive. And what I have found and what I long advocate for is it's not just about the doctors. You have to train the full staff. The full staff has to be aware of trans identities. Yes, at OBGYNs. Yes, at primary care physicians. I said, oh, I'm changing my name. And, you know, just goes, oh, what to? Like, and I said, I'm non-binary. He goes, oh, all right, no problem. Like, these are my pronouns. Sure. Like, and, you know. All of these places need that kind of information because that's the front line of the, the people that you see and interact with when you go in for healthcare. Feel like it's just the conversation's just starting as far as I'm concerned like the language is we don't even have the, the correct language for it yet except all you know we try to do here is just and myself is just try to be like compassionate and make things a non-issue and because um, at the end of the day let's that's all you can really truly ask of people you can never ask people you know that they be perfect right off the bat because it's not a realistic expectation and it's, it's not gonna happen you're just gonna be disappointed you know even amongst like the queer and trans community like we screw up like my dumbass friend who's like well i'm on testosterone and and and, and my girlfriend's on estrogen so two trans people can make a baby i'm like you can get pregnant don't think you can't sperm knows no limits and then i mean working it abortion clinics for 25 years like there was two kids that got pregnant and I totally believe them they didn't even have sex they were just playing around down there and then he stuck his hand inside and then she got pregnant I think that every doctor's office every PCP that you go to should ask about your sex life but you definitely should not be going oh I'm married I am now going to assume that this person never has any other kinds of sex with any other kinds of people like no come on because even people like now that we're getting married are like, oh, when do you want to have kids? And she's like, well, first of all, we don't want to, and second of all, it'd be really difficult because we both have uteruses. So. My PCP has never asked me about sex. I'm married, but they don't know what kind of relationship I have or 
you know, they don't ask about these kind of things. So if they don't know who you're sleeping with, then they don't know your risk. Take literally an additional 30 seconds to ask a follow-up question. That's giving you good care is to ask these questions and to make you feel comfortable and not make you feel like you're a big weirdo because it's more common than you think. People are dating who they want to date now. They're more open to it. And I've had like really masculine people come in and be like really embarrassed that they're pregnant and blah, blah, blah. And like they were doing sex work. Who is unnecessarily suffering or who has died because doctors make assumptions about these our bodies? Not the surgeon told me, not my doctor, not my counselors, not my therapist, everybody that wasn't part of my gender team, you know, no one mentioned that at all. And so like, that's why we call around and do referrals and ask if people are trans competent because it's like, not just accepting, like, oh, we're nice here, and not making them feel like, you're the first person ever for this to happen to. Like, can you imagine going to, like, a fucking random, like, place for, like, a hospital or something and being like, you know, I'm pregnant, you know? heard a number of cisgender women tell as well of uh so the the backstory just for context is um i started having very bad symptoms of endometriosis when i was 13 or 14 really uh, is when the, those symptoms started being terrible i used to have to take off school because of the pain associated the cramps and pain associated with menstruating um, i would be out for days uh every month because it was such a problem I was prescribed all sorts of painkillers um, that didn't always take care of the pain. Um, and because of that, once I turned 18, I really started thinking about, can I get a hysterectomy? Um, and at that time I was out as queer um, and uh, very newly out as trans. I knew that I did not want to have children. Um, I knew that this was something that I really wanted to have, you know, surgery that not, not only did I want to have, but felt very necessary because of the pain and trauma that I was going through uh, as a result of menstruating and endometriosis. So when I hit like 19, 20 years old, I started asking about it. And the first couple doctors I asked about it just truly scoffed. Um, and there was a, a sense of not only uh, cissexism and uh, heterosexism, but real ageism. Of, like, you are a child, you have no idea what you want. Like, I am 19 years old, I have been suffering since I was 13, please, please do this. Mm -hmm. um, and year after year, checkup after checkup, I was just denied over and over again. Um, and then it really came to a head when I was 21 and um, passed out uh, as a result of terrible, terrible pain uh, in the middle of a farmer's market, got rushed to the hospital. Um, and what they discovered is that one of my ovaries had swollen to the size of a softball. They're supposed to be the size of a walnut. Um, so size difference there. Um, and uh, had to have emergency surgery because of that. They actually put off the emergency surgery. They were, you know, oh, it's not that big of a deal. And yet the doctor who finally uh, did the surgery he said well if this had gone any longer and exploded you wouldn't be here I'm like great thanks is 
just perform the hysterectomy while you're in there, reduce the trauma on my body, the surgical trauma on my body, um, and we can make sure this won't happen again because the likelihood of it recurring was high. Mm -hmm. They said no. Uh, they said that's not that's not what we do. Like <laughs> your surgeons who deal in this area of bodies, please tell me this, this is something you have experience in. Um, but no, they, they would not do that. Um, it took uh, many years later, continued pain, uh, continued issues uh, when I was 27 that they finally performed the hysterectomy. Um, and even then the doctor was reticent, did not want to do it, said, you know, you don't know what might change. You might want kids. And I said, I really truly understand what I want. I have been advocating for this for many years. Please perform surgery or I will find another doctor. And I think it was that piece of it. We are often under this assumption that doctors are somehow, I don't know, uh, we can't, there's this assumption we can't fire our doctor and have that power. If you don't like the care you are receiving, fire your doctor and find somebody who will give you better care. Um, and so I told him, I, I will find another doctor. I will fire you and I will find another doctor. And he kind of finally said, oh, all right, I guess, I guess that's what we're doing now. Um, and performed the surgery when I was 27. All based in this, you know, the the assumption that you're you that bodies are inherently heterosexual, bodies are inherently cisgender, and bodies are inherently uh, made to create babies in some way, shape, or form, um, and that's all that we exist for. Uh, and it's so false and so harmful, and can literally take lives under that assumption. So my name is Mason Dunn. I use he, him, or they, them, theirs pronouns. Uh, my name is Logan Snyder, and I use zee, zeer, zim, and they, their, them pronouns. Hello, it's Eli. My last name is K-E-T-I, and I go by him and him. Hi, my name is and my pronouns are he, him, I'd like to thank all of our guests, Eli, Mason, Logan, Mitchell, and Liam. This episode contains several music tracks from Cooper ECC and Palanana. No relation. I'm just kidding, it's me. The ACLU of New Hampshire is a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization devoted to protecting and expanding civil rights and civil liberties in the Granite State. Check us out online at aclu-nh.org or connect with us on social media at Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And our lawyers would like me to remind you that this podcast was produced by Speaking Into Microphones.